Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, everybody. Just to let you know ahead of time before we start the show, this is going to be a very, very long show. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put chapters in. I'm going to put chapters in for the news segment, which will be the first one. And then we talk about the... Uh, shareholders proposals that'll be the second chapter and then elon statements will be the third chapter so you can kind of go as to where you think is your interest lies i guess you don't have to listen to the whole podcast if you don't want to because it is so long although i'd really like it if you did but you don't have to all right let's start the show everyone and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodie and I am your host and I am recording on a Tuesday night because this Thursday we have the Tesla annual shareholders meeting. So I'm going to record that portion on Thursday and I'm going to record the news portion which is what I'm talking to you about today on Tuesday. So that way it makes Thursday a little bit easier and I'll be more likely to get the episode out on Thursday night or Friday morning. That's really what that comes down to. I'd like to thank everybody for the feedback on the Dane Myers interview. Uh, I thought Dane was great, and apparently you guys thought he was great too, because I got a lot of really great feedback about uh, the interview. So thank you very much for doing that and sending that information to me. And in that interview, Dane was talking about investing and how investing in environmentally friendly companies and funds and other investments was important to him, and that struck a chord with some people. Bruce, who's a Patreon supporter, he sent me a link to two podcast episodes of How to Save a Planet. So the first one was on August 12th, 2021, and that's Are My Retirement Savings Invested in Fossil Fuels? Question mark, question mark, help. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to these. And then the other episode he sent is The Shareholders versus Exxon. Now, I haven't listened to either one of these episodes as of yet, or at least as of this recording, because I've got some time tomorrow that I'm planning on listening to at least one of these episodes. They're about 45 minutes long. So you may be asking yourself, why are you recommending something that you haven't even listened to yet? And the reason is, is I trust Bruce, and that's why I'm recommending it. All right, let's jump into some news. First up, renewable energy news. We're going to talk about Morocco and the UK. Now, I think we can all agree that when you're comparing Morocco and the UK, 
Morocco is is better suited for solar energy generation than the UK. Not to say that you can't do it in the UK, but Morocco is going to be way better in terms of how much solar energy you can generate per square foot, let's say. But that doesn't mean that the UK doesn't need clean energy. So here is where it gets interesting. X-Lynx, a UK-based renewable energy company, has a plan to deliver clean solar energy from Morocco to the UK. Now, the solar installation on land is going to cover about 579 square miles, and I think that's about 1,300 kilometers. I didn't write it down. I apologize. Anyway, the solar installation in Morocco is going to transport clean energy 2,361 miles via subsea cables to the UK. When everything's all up and running, the $21 billion project is going to power about 7 million UK homes by 2030 and will supply about 8% of the UK's electricity needs, which is really impressive. Over time, I think we're going to see more of these types of partnerships. And on one hand, I think it's a really good thing. However, if mismanaged, I can see how this would would be a really terrible thing (laughs) and, and not good at all for the people in the country where the energy is being generated, especially if there are, you know, no labor laws, for instance, or any other unchecked behavior that a business could do or participate in that might um, not be so nice for the people who have to work for that company or the people that live in that area. So we got to be really cautious about this and, and smart about it. But overall, I think it's a good thing. And hopefully we'll see more of it. Our next story is less of a news story and more of a rumor. Lordstown Motors is looking to sell its factory in Lordstown, Ohio to Foxconn. Now, if you don't know who Foxconn is, they build a lot of different electronics for a lot of different companies such as Apple. And I'm not going to go into all of the things that they do, but Foxconn is looking for a U.S. plant to build EVs for companies like Fisker. And we've talked about Lordstown a lot Over the last couple of months, they're in deep financial trouble. They've had some issues with like Hindenburg doing a takedown against the company. Um, It just goes on and on and on. They can't seem to get the, the Endurance, which is their pickup truck, built. So Lordstown has been looking for another automaker to either lease space in the factory or that automaker would pay Lordstown to build the EVs for them. So in in this example, we'll just use Fisker. This is not the case, by the way, I'm just using it as as an example. But Fisker breaks its contract with Foxconn and it says to Lordstown, hey, we want you to build our vehicle. So Lordstown will build the Endurance on one line and the Fisker Ocean, for instance, on the other line. As of this recording, Lordstown and Foxconn have both declined to comment. So we don't really know if this is going to be an all in out purchase of the factory or if Foxconn will be leasing some space or if Foxconn will take over the production for the Lordstown Endurance. Who knows what what the arrangement is going to be or there'll be no arrangement at all. We just don't know. But it's something to keep an eye on for sure. Polestar is going public through a SPAC acquisition. So here's something I found odd in terms of this particular story. And it's not that Polestar is using a SPAC to go public because a lot of EV companies are doing that. It's that they're only valued at $20 billion. So when you look at Rivian, for instance, Rivian is valued at $80 billion. Lucid is valued at $57 billion. 
Um, both Rivian and Lucid are just now barely getting to producing their cars. They, they really haven't gotten many cars in out of the factory. Rivian's got a couple. I don't think Lucid's got any as of this point. And Polestar, on the other hand, has actually produced vehicles and delivered them to customers, which is, you know, kind of an important deal when you're when you own a business. I wasn't able to find an actual number of as to how many cars have been delivered. I, it's somewhere around 8,000 in Europe, as best as I can tell. I wasn't actually able to find any hard numbers, but it just seems like 20 billion is a really low number for a car company who's actually proved that they can deliver these vehicles. Like the Polestar 1 starts at $155,000, and that's a hybrid. I don't even know why that thing even exists to be honest with you but it does and the Polestar 2 starts somewhere around $45,000 and you can configure that bad boy up to around $70,000 pretty easy and when I say easy I I mean it's not that easy because the Polestar website is actually terrible um it looks pretty don't get me wrong but when I was doing research for this I went there to configure a car to see how much you know begin the starting price is and what I can configure it to. And um, so I went on my phone, which is an iPhone 11 Max, and I tried to configure it, and it was just a horrible experience. So I was like, okay, well, I got to record. So I brought everything down into the little room that I record in, and I hooked up my uh, monitor to my laptop. And I have this nice 24 inch monitor. I went to polestar.com, went to configure the Polestar 2. And just as bad of an experience, it was very confusing. Nothing seemed to work right now. I'm using Safari, so maybe it's not optimized for Safari, but it should be. Like Polestar, if you're going to have a method for people to order your cars online, that should be the best experience ever. Like Tesla does a really good job. Tesla has almost no options for you to choose from, but Tesla does a really good job. But Polestar, I, I was just really confused with what was going on there. And now that I, I'm almost done ranting here... But now that I've explained all that to you, is it possible that Polestar was like a 40 or $50 billion company, but their website is so bad that they were dinged 20 to $30 billion because of their piss poor website? Is that possible? Bodie at 918digital.com, B-O-D-I-E at 918digital.com if you have thoughts on that. Let's stay on this. IPO train here. Rivian's IPO filings showed that the company is losing money at an astonishing rate, according to some headlines. What do, what do these people expect? Of course they are losing money. They just started producing vehicles, and maybe they've done a few deliveries. Even then, they're going to be losing money. At what point between when they started to a few weeks ago, did they have a product to sell? The answer is they didn't. Of course they're losing money. This, ah. Anyway, that's not what I wanted to talk about. It just Those kind of headlines just make me very angry. That's not what I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about two little pieces of information that we may have gotten a peek into. We don't know if these things are true, but we may know how much Rivian's autonomous driving is going to cost, and we think that it's around $10,000, which puts it in line with what Tesla's selling. However, no, as far as I know, no one outside of the company has seen it. So um, I don't know if it's worth your $10,000 or not. And then two weeks ago, we talked about Rivian's subscription service, and I'm not going to go into all the features that you get. 
But according to the journalists that are looking into this stuff and reading the IPO tea leaves, it's going to cost about $550 a year, which is a ridiculous amount of money for what Rivian is offering. That, that's a lot of money. However, um, Rivian's customers may think it's a good value. And if they think it's a good value, um, then I guess they can sell it for whatever they want to. And as we transition here from regular EV news to Tesla news, we're just going to kind of combine two things here. We're going to talk about Rivian and Tesla. A while ago, we talked about Tesla was claiming that Rivian was hiring away Tesla employees and they were encouraging those former employees to bring secret documents with them, basically stealing trade secrets from Tesla. Rivian put out a statement and said that they have systems in place to keep um, employees from uploading other companies' intellectual property into Rivian's overall system. I don't know exactly how that works, but they said they have systems to keep that from happening. Tesla is accusing Rivian of stealing the core technology for its next generation batteries, according to Bloomberg. And I'm sure there's a, a bunch of other stuff in the lawsuit, but I'm just going to say from the outside here, it doesn't seem like this is something that Rivian would do. At at no point in time during the however many years I've been covering this company, have I gotten the feeling that, you know, RJ Scaringe is kind of a shady character, haven't really thought that. I mean, Rivian just seems like it's a really well-run company, and RJ just seems to have a good head on his shoulders. And one of the things that I think that Rivian's done really well is they've looked at what works and what hasn't worked for Tesla. And they've really done a good job of implementing those good things that has worked for Tesla and avoided the bad. Like Tesla took all of those arrows going up the hill and then Rivian can come behind them. And, you know, they're still going to take a few, but Tesla really paved the way for Rivian and a bunch of other EV companies. And in, in our current world today, which is, you know, everybody's got a megaphone, it would be really dumb for Rivian to make this request. Now, I'm not saying there aren't employees who didn't take stuff with them when they left the company. That may happen. That probably happens at a lot of different companies. I just, I, I just have a hard time believing that Rivian's like, hey, come work for us. And oh, by the way, bring a bunch of stuff that could get you in a lot of trouble later on. No, no, it's fine. If you get caught, we'll take care of you. That just doesn't seem like a conversation Rivian's going to have with future employees. Now, having said all that, uh, I've been wrong before. We'll just leave it there. Tesla has been ordered to pay $137 million to a former contract worker. A federal jury found that Tesla was guilty of creating a hostile work environment and failed to take reasonable steps to prevent the plaintiff, Owen Diaz, from being racially harassed. Now, the time frame for this harassment was between 2015 and 2016. And during the early days of this podcast, we talked about this kind of thing a lot. Like Tesla had a terrible re reputation when it came to labor practices. Um, it does seem like it's getting better, and I will give Tesla kudos for improving that those working conditions. And it really th seemed like the turnaround started when Tesla hired Valerie Workman, who is Tesla's VP of People. And she really does seem like she cares. Now, she may not care at all, but from the outside, again, this is all outside perspective. I don't have any other perspective. 
for this kind of thing. She really seems like she cares. Uh, she made, she was on the city council meeting when Tesla was trying to secure that site in Austin. And, um, you know, she talked a lot about the programs that Tesla had in place to ensure that the employees in Austin would be taken care of. And it does seem like she cares. Like I've also seen her quoted in some articles and things like that. Again, I don't know her from Adam, so she may not care at all. But my general feeling is, is that this is something that she takes very seriously. And as far as the ruling goes, Tesla will be appealing. So I will keep you updated when I have more information. Tesla was able to produce 1,600 Model Ys per day on average in September at Giga Shanghai. So that's great. And congrats to the team. Meanwhile, in Austin and Berlin, Tesla has started building. This is according to an article written by Fred Lambert at Electric. Fred talked to a former Tesla employee who knows about these kind of things. So Tesla has started building Model Ys with a single front casting and rear casting. So we've been talking about this transition of Tesla using a bunch of different parts to make up the structural support of the car into these rear and front castings. And I'm not going to go into all the information uh, because we've talked about this a lot in the past, but by having a front cast and a rear cast that reduces the amount of parts needed for one, two, it reduces the amount of time for production and three, it reduces cost. So I, and I'm sure there's a bunch of other benefits to it as well. And it's probably some cons that I'm not uh, portraying or even thinking of because I, I'm not in the business of building cars, but this is, this is a good thing for Tesla because it's going to bring the cost of the vehicles down. Hopefully Tesla will pass that savings on to us, the consumer. I'm not going to hold my breath, but maybe they do. That'd be nice. All right, one more story, and then we'll get to the Tesla annual shareholders meeting. And I might have called it an earnings call now that I think about it at the beginning of the show, but it's their annual shareholders meeting. So let's talk about Tesla's 2021 Q3 production and delivery numbers. So for the Model S and Model X, they produced 8,941 vehicles. They delivered 9,275 so if you're wondering why they can deliver more than they produced, it's because not every vehicle produced in the previous quarter was delivered. So, and the same will go to the next quarter. Not every vehicle produced in uh, Q3 will be delivered in Q3. Some of them will have to be delivered in Q4. So that's where we get the number disparity. So the Model 3 and the Model Y, they produced 228,882 and they delivered 232,025, which is insane, insane for Tesla to do that. So great work for the whole team. Now their total production was 23,823 and their total deliveries was 24,300. And just to give you some perspective, they had a great quarter last quarter and they only produced 206,421. And Rob Maurer of the Tesla Daily Podcast, he posted Tesla's delivery history in the third quarter. So from 2012 to 2021. So if you indulge me, I'd like to go through this real quick. In 2012, they delivered 321 vehicles in the third quarter. 2013, 5,516 in the third quarter. 
2014, 7,785. 2015, 11,603. 2016, 24,821. 2017, 26,137. So a, a little difference between 2016 and 2017, but not much. And then 2018, 83,775. 2019, 97,186. I wonder what happened in 2018. Maybe it was the Model 3? Hmm? Maybe? Anyway, um, so 2019, 2020, 139,353. And that was just last year. That wasn't even that long ago. That was last year. And in 2021, we had 241,300. So over the last 11 years, those are really crazy numbers in terms of deliveries and, and the amount that they have increased. Congratulations to the whole Tesla team. That's awesome. And before we get to the shareholders meeting real quick, I just want to give a shout out and a thank you to Jeffrey for joining the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash kilowatt. Jeffrey, thank you so much for supporting this show because it really does mean a lot to me. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. All right, let's jump into the Tesla 2021 annual shareholders meeting. First up, we're going to hear from Robin Dunholm, and she's going to recap Tesla's last 12 months for us. Well, welcome to the 2021 annual shareholders meeting here in virtual form this year. Um, we hope next year that we'll be able to have our regular in-person gathering, just like we have over the last decade. Since we last met as a shareholder group in September of 2020, a lot has happened at Tesla. I want to just recap some of the things that have happened over this last 12 months. So in the 12 months that ended September of 2021, we've delivered over 800,000 vehicles. We've also started new production lines in Shanghai. We've commenced the pilot production of our own in-house battery cells, 
And on top of that, we've constructed two new gigafactories on two different continents, including the one that we're here today in, in Texas. But maybe most importantly, our mission of accelerating the world's transition to sustainable energy remains at the centre of what we do. Over the last 12 months, Tesla has continued to help shift the public perception of electric vehicles. And it wasn't too long ago that many people were still questioning the future of EVs. I would say that today that's no longer the case. All right, so anybody that's been listening to the show for any length of time or following Tesla already knows these things, but I thought it was a really good place to start this segment of the show. So now that we have that out of the way, we're going to go through the shareholders' proposals. The first shareholders' proposal, his audio was really broken up, so I didn't include it because it's really hard to understand. Martin Viega is going to tell us all about the second shareholder proposal, so let's listen in. The second stockholder proposal is an advisory vote regarding additional reporting on diversity and inclusion efforts. Our board has recommended that our stockholders vote against this stockholder proposal. The stockholder proposal by Calvert Research and Management, whose representative Kimberly Stokes is on the line to present the proposal. Ms. Stokes, I would like to invite you to speak. You will have three minutes. Thank you. Tesla states in its 2020 Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Report that it is on a mission to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. We at Calvert Research and Management heartily support this effort and understand how important it is to invest in companies that are leading the charge to a net zero economy. However, we also know that it takes human resources to achieve these goals and ask Tesla to demonstrate how the company's human capital management strategy, and specifically its diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy, supports the level of innovation and collaboration necessary to achieve this goal. The business case for diversity is clear. Numerous studies demonstrate the benefits of a diverse corporate workforce. These include better financial returns, superior stock performance, and importantly, Research shows that diverse and inclusive teams support more innovation. Tesla's 2020 DEI report lacks sufficient quantitative and qualitative information for investors to adequately compare the company's performance over time and relative to peers. What the report does reveal is that Tesla's leadership is 83% male and 59% white, despite having what the company describes as a majority-minority workforce all at a time in which Tesla's customer base is evolving and growing more diverse. Calvert asks that Tesla's reporting include the process the board follows for assessing the effectiveness of the company's DEI programs and the results of that assessment. We also ask that Tesla disclose its full EEO-1 report, a comprehensive breakdown of Tesla's workforce by race and gender according to 10 employment categories which is already collected and provided to the United States Equal Employment Opportunity Commission every year. In its DEI report, Tesla states, we do the work required to ensure that our culture is as diverse and inclusive as it is collaborative and driven. However, in order to fully understand whether or not Tesla is executing well on its stated strategy, the company must be more transparent about its policies and practices and do the work 
to provide investors with reliable, consistent, and comparable data that we need to make informed investment decisions. We acknowledge that Tesla is committed to integrating DEI reporting into the company's annual impact report, but want the board to understand that Tesla's disclosure lags far behind peers. In 2020, Calvert analyzed the top companies held in our core portfolio. At that time, less than 20% were disclosing EEO1 data, including Tesla. Following our engagement, 70% of these companies have committed to disclosing their full EEO1 report on an annual basis. As shareholders, we are concerned that Tesla's lack of focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion could hinder the company's ability to innovate in the future. We urge the board to commit to full disclosure rather than incremental ineffective action. You know, Tesla's already a pretty transparent and open company, so it seems like a no-brainer that they would just kind of embrace this um, proposal and not recommend voting against it. I mean, they're already going through the process of giving this information to the government, so they've already looked it up. It's not like it's a, a whole lot of extra work to make it public for investors. That makes complete and total sense to me, especially when you have investors who care about this kind of information. Our next proposal is all about being Tesla being more transparent with binding arbitration. Now, as an employee, um, I've never been through binding arbitration myself, but I know several people who have gone through binding arbitration, and it rarely works, works out for the employee. Like employees, it's very difficult for an employee to be able to afford to hire an attorney, and the employer probably has several different attorneys advising them. So this is a, it's a tough place to be for an, an employee. And I should say, in my limited experience, it rarely works out for the employee. But let's go ahead and listen to that clip. The third stockholder proposal is an advisory vote regarding reporting on employee arbitration. Our board has recommended that our stockholders vote against this stockholder proposal. This stockholder proposal is proposed by NIA Impact Capital, whose representative, Christine Hall, is on the line to present the proposal. Dr. Hall, I would like to invite you to speak. You will have three minutes. Thank you. Hello, this is Kristen Hall. Can you hear me? I am Dr. Kristen Hall, founder and CEO at NIA Impact Capital. On behalf of NIA and our co-filers, I formally move Proposal 7. This resolution requests that Tesla's board of directors oversee the preparation of a report on the impact of the use of mandatory arbitration on Tesla employees and on its overall workplace culture. Why is this report needed? After this week's headlines and many other employee allegations of racial discrimination, we as investors need a look under the hood. The use of mandatory arbitration limits employees' remedies when it comes to both harassment and discrimination. Precluding employees from suing in court, often keeping underlying facts, misconduct, and case outcomes secret, these clauses may allow harassment and discrimination to continue, hidden from other employees and from investors. Bias, discrimination, and harassment in the workplace create unknown and uncompensated risks for investors, inviting unnecessary legal, brand, financial, and human capital issues to a company. On the flip side, the benefits of a positive and inclusive company culture with diverse teams include access to top talent, better understanding of consumer preferences, fewer blind spots when it comes to leadership decisions, 
more informed strategy discussions, and improved risk management. A diverse workforce and the different perspectives it encourages has also been shown to produce more creative and innovative workplace environments. Of particular relevance to Tesla, research shows a strong link between diversity and revenue from innovation, where companies with above-average diversity produce significantly greater revenue from innovative products or services than those with below-average diversity. Many technologies with which Tesla may compete for recruitment and hiring, such as Adobe, Airbnb, Google, IBM, Intel, Lyft, Microsoft, Salesforce, and Uber no longer use these policies. Tesla simply cannot rest on its laurels, assuming its first mover advantage will last. Given the allegations raised by over 100 past employees, these racial slurs, discrimination in promotions, a retaliatory culture, and lack of response from human resources, investors are counting on Tesla to step up and make human capital management a priority. Tesla is a known leader in innovation, and it's time now for Tesla to also lead when it comes to promoting a fair and inclusive workplace. Tesla's board is asked again to complete the requested report to determine if mandatory employee arbitration is in the best interest of Tesla, its employees, and its shareholders. Thank you. I don't have much more to say on this topic, so we'll move on to the next proposal, which is all about having a third party oversee Tesla's human capital management. Does anybody else think that that term is so degrading and and, and basically reducing employees down to um, the barest minimum assets that the company has to deal with? Like the term employee isn't great, but at least that acknowledges that you're a human and you work for the company. But human capital feels very much like they own you. And it's just a terrible term, and it should go away. But anyway, let's listen to that proposal. The fourth stockholder proposal is an advisory vote regarding assigning responsibility for strategic oversight of human capital management to an independent board-level committee. Our board has recommended that our stockholders vote against this stockholder proposal. This stockholder proposal is proposed by Comptroller of New, uh, the City of New York, whose representative Michael Garland is on the line to present the proposal. Mr. Garland, I would like, you to, I would like to invite you to speak. You will have three minutes. Great, thank you. Good afternoon, Chair Denholm, board members, and fellow shareholders. The New York City pension funds are long-term Tesla shareholders with roughly 1.3 million shares, representing nearly a billion dollars of capital at risk. Our proposal calls on the board to assign responsibility for strategic oversight of human capital management to an independent board committee that will, one, review corporate policies and practices on principle, strategy, and management of workforce-related matters, including those related to addressing workforce equity and inclusion and compensation for employees other than executive officers. Two, oversee the extent to which Tesla's policy standards and requirements are applied consistently across its operations. And three, offer guidance on strategic decisions that may have an impact on the workforce. Investors are increasingly focused on the essential role that effective human capital management plays in creating long-term shareholder value and to the material risks created by poor human capital management practices, such as those exhibited by Tesla that four of the five shareholder proposal at today's meeting 
focus on worker and human rights should serve as a wake-up call to the board. Under new SEC disclosure rules, companies are expected to include human capital measures and objectives that the company focuses on in managing the business. Many boards, including at Ford and GM, have signaled greater attention to human capital management by defining explicit oversight responsibilities in, in committee charters. In pro opposing Proposal 8, the board claims that independent board committees already perform the requested functions. The board highlights the role of its compensation and audit committees play in overseeing workforce management and workforce issues. However, neither the compensation nor the audit committee list these responsibilities in their charters or in the proxy statement. According to its charter, the compensation committee's responsibilities are limited to compensating executive officers and board members and administering the company's employee benefit plans. <clears throat> Finally, in opposing our proposals, the board also asserts that our supporting statements, supporting statement references one-sided allegations from media headlines lacking context and facts, and that we are drawing speculative conclusions from them. Let me now delineate some facts that underscore the need for the requested board responsibilities. In March of this year, the National Labor Relations Board upheld an earlier ruling that Tesla acted unlawfully when it fired a union activist, interrogated and disciplined workers, issued a new restriction in response to workers exercising their labor law rights, and by threatening workers against, threatening workers against unionizing via a tweet from CEO Elon Musk. And just this week, a jury ordered Tesla to pay $137 million to a former worker over racist treatment. Unlike other Tesla employees who allege racial discrimination, the plaintiff was exempt from the company's mandatory arbitration policies that is the subject of Proposal 7 and able to pursue his case in federal court. Our fundamental concern is that Tesla's weak labor management practices pose material risks to the company's exponential growth. We expect the independent directors we elect to provide the oversight necessary to protect the long-term interests of the company, its employees, and its shareholders. We urge shareholders to vote for Proposal 8. Well, there seems to be a common theme throughout all these shareholder proposals, doesn't there? Um, I will say that the first shareholder, the one that I didn't play because the audio was bad, his thing was all about uh, limiting the terms for each of the board members to one year and then because that way it holds them more accountable but tesla's board has voted or not voted they have advised to vote against these these um, proposals and likely they all will all fail and it's even more likely that they've already failed by the time that the, the shareholders are getting a chance to present their proposals because all of the votes, or most of the votes, were already in anyway. And our next proposal is Tesla being more transparent when it comes to human rights, especially when it comes to their suppliers. Thank you. You're welcome. The fifth stockholder proposal is an advisory vote regarding additional reporting on human rights. Our board has recommended that our stockholders vote against this stockholder proposal. This stockholder proposal is proposed by Sisters of the Good Shepherd New York province, whose representative Winifred Dorothy is on the line to present the proposal. Ms. Dorothy, 
I would like to invite you to speak. You will have three minutes. Thank you very much and good afternoon. I am Winifred Doherty, a member of the Sisters of the Good Shepherd, a global international congregation of Catholic sisters and partners in mission. Today, I represent the Sisters of Good Shepherd New York as shareholders and the project participants of Bone Pasteur in the cobalt mines around Kuwezi in the Democratic Republic of Congo. A similar human rights proposal filed by the sisters received nearly 25% investor support last year. And we again urge all Tesla shareholders to support proposal nine, which requests that the board of directors commission an independent third party report assessing the extent to which Tesla is effectively fulfilling its responsibilities to, in respect to human rights and engagement in responsible sourcing practices. Today, I challenge the Tesla board and shareholders to apply the same efficacy, efficiency, and high sta quality standards to the supply chain from source to factory to showrooms where Tesla's ingenuity and creativity excel in its latest models, which delight the consumer. 2021 is the international year for the eradication of child labor. The UN Agenda for Sustainable Development seeks to end child labor in all its forms by 2025. Under the UN guiding principles on business and human rights, Tesla has a responsibility to respect human rights within company-owned operations and through their business relationships, including suppliers. Pope Francis in May 2019 urged that mining be at the service of the human person and their inalienable fundamental human rights, not vice versa. Having human rights compliance at the center of your activities we ask that you acknowledge the harm done to people and planet through your current uh, through your uh, current organizational model and recognize that today's world urgently needs social and environmental sustainability demanding a balance of economic growth and holistic well-being of people and planet we invite you to join initiatives to advocate for better regulation and a just enforcement of existing laws by all duty bearers. Ensure all supply chains are ethical with zero tolerance of child labor. Implement just working conditions, safety, fair wages and hours for each and every person within the company. Support with funding local initiatives that promote a sustainable and diversified economic development at the upstream of the supply chain. And finally, complete the final rights assessment requested by Proposal 9. Thank you. All right, folks, that was our last shareholder proposal. And I just want to leave you with this before we get to Elon's portion of the show. Doesn't it... 
seem like it makes the most amount of sense for Tesla to be as transparent with these things as humanly possible. Because they're out there, the message is that we're making the world a better place. Well, you can't just make the world a better place by building solar panels and electric vehicles. You actually have to invest in your, your employees and you have to treat them like people. And I'm not saying Tesla's not doing those things, but wouldn't with all of the bad press that they have when it comes to employee relations, wouldn't it make the most amount of sense for them to take a good look at their organization, bring a third party company in and, and admit the areas where they're flawed and, and they need work? and then provide um, updates as they improve. Wouldn't that make the most amount of sense? Like initially it might be bad, but if you go out there and own it and then you show that you're improving year over year over year, doesn't that seem like it would be a good thing from not only an actual employee perspective, but from an optics from the outside? Because all we get are the negative things right now that come across in the news, like that settlement we talked about earlier in the show and and Tesla, you know, firing workers trying to organize that kind of thing. It just seems like to me like it makes more sense to just own it and then just start improving. And as you improve, you're going to stumble and you're going to make mistakes. You own those mistakes and you keep going. These are the same things that I tell my kids. I don't know why I'm having to have this conversation. Anyway, let's go ahead and move on from here. And now it's time for Elon's section of the podcast. Elon's going to give us a, an update on the company. And the next clip is actually going to be pretty long, so settle in. Um, I didn't want to interrupt it because I thought it would be too distracting. So let's go ahead and listen. All right, welcome to the annual shareholder meeting. Um, coming to you live from Austin, Texas. So um, we've had a fantastic year. Uh, thanks to the great work of the Tesla team. Um, I'd just like to start off by just thanking the Tesla team for the incredible work over the past year to get where, where we are. Well done. So we have uh, record vehicle deliveries, um, as uh, we've already reported this. Uh, but you can see that there's a pretty, um, I mean, I, it's, I think this might be the fastest that any large manufactured object has grown. Like, um, yeah. Uh, certainly one of the fastest, perhaps the fastest. Um, and um, it looks like we, we have a good chance of maintaining that into the future, uh, really dependent on um, s supplier challenges. So if, if, if uh, we're, basically if we can get the chips, <laughs> we can do it. Um, so uh, hopefully this chip shortage will alleviate soon. But um, I feel confident um, of being able to maintain something like this at least above 50% for quite a while. The Model 3 became the best-selling premium vehicle uh, globally. So if any premium vehicle. Uh, but I, I mean, I almost got arrested at one point for claiming that we'd do 5,000 a week, literally. <laughs> You're laughing now. Um, anyway, this is great. Um, we think the Model Y will be uh, the best-selling vehicle of uh, any kind globally. So we think it will, it will exceed the Model 3. Um, I think we've got a good chance of it being the best-selling vehicle by revenue next year and then 
I think, quite likely to be the best-selling vehicle uh, in just of, of any kind numerically in, in 2023, in 2023. So uh, basically, we need, we need uh, Osen to get online and Berlin to get online and reach volume production, and then I think that's going to happen. Um, a cash, in terms of free cash flow generation, um, obviously, we had uh, some tough years uh, back then. Um, things were looking a little dicey, to say the least, in 2017 and 2018. <sighs> uh, <laughs> don't want to go back there again. Um, but uh, we, we got through that, and now things are looking uh, really good. So I think we'll see continued uh, strong cash flow generation, uh, and uh, especially if, if, as you multiply unit volume times autonomy uh, and increased efficiency in the factories. Um, uh, because I, I think over time, you'll see all manufacturers will make electric vehicles. And eventually, all manufacturers will make autonomous vehicles. Um, and we, I think and Tesla's open to licensing uh, autonomy, because I think autonomy will be uh, such a significant lifesaver and preventer of injuries that it, it is not a technology we want to keep to ourselves. So um, I think it will be um, morally right to, to license it to other manufacturers if they would like to, to use it. So. Um, and of course, uh, we've, we've made a lot of progress on, on cost reduction. Um, and. Uh, so despite our average selling price actually going down significantly because with the introduction of the Model 3 and Model Y, these were much lower priced cars, uh, we've managed to still do uh, decently well on, on gross margin. So this is, um, you know, get, getting the average price down and, and gross margin up is, is very difficult, uh, but we've managed to, to do that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's good. Um, our goal really is to make the cars as affordable as possible. Um, we are seeing significant cost pressure in our supply chain, um, and uh, so we've had to increase um, uh, vehicle prices, uh, at least temporarily, but we do hope to actually reduce the prices over time and make them more affordable. Uh, so, um, yeah, unfortunately, we've, got, we've just expedited. Like, I mean, the sheer amount of money we're spending on um, flying parts around the world is, is uh, just not, not great, but hopefully temporary. So, and we need a lot of batteries. Uh, hence, uh, battery day is what this shirt means. Very obtuse. Um, but um, we are going to need a lot of batteries. And this is going to be um, a combination of batteries from our suppliers. Um, and in, in supplier discussions, um, you know, some of our suppliers have just asked me outright, are, are we going to just, you know, put them out of business or something? I'm like, not at all. As many cells as you want to make and supply to us at an affordable price, we will buy. No limit. I'm like, oh, okay. So, like, do you want to have, yeah, increase by 100%? Sounds good to me. Um, so, the, the basic plan is uh, we're, we're really going to order a lot of, and we have ordered a lot of batteries from suppliers, basically telling suppliers literally uh, uh, go, go as much as you can make, we'll take. Um, and, uh, and, and we'll, we'll prioritize uh, batteries for vehicles, but then use, um, any excess uh, cells that we have in the Powerwall and Megapack. Uh, because uh, over time, we think the demand for 
stationary storage is going to be at least as high as the demand for vehicles. So uh, sustainable energy, primarily solar and wind, is intermittent. And so the wind doesn't blow all the time. The sun doesn't shine all the time, obviously. Um, and so you need batteries to buffer that power. Um, so the, the fundamental pillars of a sustainable energy future are uh, basically solar and wind. Those are the primary ba uh, stationary batteries and electric transport. And if you have those three, then you have a sustainable energy future as long as the sun is shining. You know? So sometimes people ask me about fusion. And I like it as an idea. And by the way, I think it's totally doable. Um, but uh, there's a giant fusion reactor in the sky that shows up every morning and zero maintenance. Um, so I'm like, so sounds like a good deal. You know? uh, I'll just catch a little bit of that sunlight and uh, power Earth. Um, a, sh a shockingly small amount of land is needed to power Earth. <laughs> it's like, you know, a couple hundred miles uh, by a couple hundred miles of solar panels will power the entire United States. So it's like, okay, it's not that hard. Um, and then I believe we calculated you only needed one square mile of batteries. So you may think, like, wow, a lot of batteries. One square mile of batteries. It's not that crazy. So anyway. Um, so we've got, we've got a plan to uh, reduce the cost per kilowatt hour of batteries. Um, and, um, and our suppliers you know, have similar plans. Uh, so this is um, really supplemental to our suppliers. Um, we'll make cells. They'll make cells. We'll use them all. Um, the, the fundamental good of Tesla, I think, is um, by how many years did we accelerate sustainable energy? This is the, the fundamental, I think, uh, way to think of the, the value of Tesla. And so if we are able to accelerate sustainable energy by more years, that is good. Um, hence the need to grow quickly. Uh, we've got three new factories. Um, Giga Shanghai has done an incredible job. Um, and uh, Giga Shanghai now exceeds uh, Fremont uh, in production. So actually, I'd like to just give a special hand to the, our Tesla China team. Right. So it's the, the best quality, lowest cost, and, uh, and also low drama. So it's great. Um, and um, but that said, we are um, continuing to expand our Fremont uh, operations um, and uh, expect to uh, hopefully increase Fremont output by 50%. So, and that's still where we make all Model S and Xs are made in, in Fremont. Um, but uh, it kind of makes sense, especially for the high-volume vehicles, to have production that's at least on the continent where the consumers are. Um, otherwise, it's just... It's also not good for the environment to be shipping cars, you know, several thousand miles. So the basic idea is have the high-volume vehicles be where the customers are, approximately at least. <laughs> um, and then uh, also great progress with building Giga Texas, which is where we are right now, uh, and Giga Berlin Brandenburg. So just a hand for those teams as well. Um, and and the, um, the, these factories uh, will have cell production uh, in them as well. So this will be really kind of raw materials in, cars out. So really, really big. Um, yeah. I mean, these things will be in, like, units of Pentagon. 
basically. Uh, let's see. So impact report. Um, uh, there's a lot of, uh, I think, interesting stuff in our impact report. Um, we go into I, I, quite a lot of detail on um, all things we're doing. Um, and, you know, uh, Tesla is, is, is certainly a company that uh, tries very hard to do the right thing in all respects. We try very hard to do the right thing in all respects. We don't always succeed. But if you're looking for a company where you can say, is that company really trying to do the right thing? That is Tesla. <laughs> okay, we really try. <laughs> okay, I mean, uh, anyway. So, uh, um, so uh, as I was mentioning, we've got the you know three parts of a sustainable energy future: uh, solar and wind. But I think primarily solar will be the the main source of energy uh, of sustainable energy and energy in general. Um, and then you need uh, uh, to store that energy with uh, stationary battery packs, and then you need um, electric vehicles and uh, electric airplanes and boats and whatnot. So, um, yeah, great. Um, yeah, and then the uh, average life cycle emissions in the U.S., uh, this is only going to get better as, as we move to a sustainable energy grid um, and, and electric vehicles then obviously we move to a fully sustainable energy economy, which is where we want to get to as quickly as possible. The sooner the better. And can, can there be a carbon tax? I mean, what the hell, you know? Um, so people sometimes say, like, oh, carbon tax, that would benefit Tesla. I'm like, yeah, but it would, it would uh, hurt SpaceX. Uh, so how about the carbon tax, <laughs> which is really needed. So. Um, See, battery materials are uh, definitely encyclable. Burden gas is not. Uh, CO2 is an extremely stable molecule. Um, Mars's atmosphere has been primarily CO2 for know, billions of years. Uh, it's extremely stable. Um, so sometimes people worry about methane. Uh, do not worry too much about methane. Methane quickly breaks down into CO2. Methane is not a stable molecule. CO2 is extremely stable. Um, so. Um, and of course, you can recycle battery materials. So uh, you can think of batteries as essentially high-grade ore. So you can either get your lithium and your nickel or, and, and the various constituents of the battery from uh, rocks or from batteries. It's much better to get them from batteries. So uh, batteries are basically high-grade ore. And um, Tesla has already started recycling. And there are lots of companies that are going to do recycling because it, it basically pays to do recycling for batteries. So um, we're seeing, you know, um, increased uh, extreme weather events, and uh, there's like wildfires. And here in Austin, there was a massive snowstorm that turned the power off. I was actually in Austin for that uh, snowstorm in a house with um, no electric, no lights, no power, no heating, no internet. Couldn't actually even get to a food store. If you could get to a food store, there was no food there. That went on for several days. Um, uh, however, if we had the solar plus power wall, uh, it, the car would have had lights and electricity. And actually, if you had a Starlink internet, you'd have internet too. So, um, all the things you need for a prepper, basically. <laughs> Doomsday comes, yeah, it could be helpful. Um, 
So in factory safety, we've done, we made uh, huge improvements on, on factory safety. Um, so uh, we're now 18% better than the industry average. So this is, a, this is great. Uh, it's, it's always tough with safety as you ramp production lines and as you start up factories, but then as, as the, once it's in steady state, then the injuries naturally, de naturally decline because people get used to it and you iron out the issues. And so we're seeing um, excellent uh, factory safety uh, in, at Tesla. Um, and we're, we're, our goal is to have the safest factory on Earth. So. And then uh, AI Day, I think it was important to uh, change the fundamental perception of, of Tesla because people do, they sort of think of Tesla as a car company. And yes, we make cars, um, but, but at, but the AI portion, part of Tesla was not well understood. Um, Tesla is as much a software company as it is a hardware company. And, um, and, and, as, and we also do the, the chips. Uh, so we designed the, uh, the full self-driving inference computer. Uh, we're designing a training computer that's going to be able to, we think, be the most efficient neural net training computer in the world by far. Um, and. Um, and we're seeing a tremendous response. So daily applicants by <laughs> role. Um, as you can see, it's basically uh, you know, on the y-axis there. <laughs> and, and then after AI day, that's, uh, the AI applicants increased dramatically. So I thought that was a very successful day. Team did a great job. Um, and um, yeah, um, AI is going to be a very important part of the future. Uh, Self-driving is obviously one of the functions, um, and um, I obviously have mixed thoughts about AI. And we've got to watch out for AI being a danger, uh, but it's happening either way. So I guess if we help do it, we can try our best to make sure it is uh, positive. You know, good, good AI. Hopefully, <laughs> um, yeah. And then uh, I'm excited to announce that we're moving our headquarters to Austin, Texas. Just to, to be clear, though, we will be continuing to expand our activities in California. So this is not a matter of, of sort of Tesla leaving California. Um, as I said, we're, we're, our, our intention is to actually increase output uh, from Fremont and from Giga Nevada by 50%. So, but we're, ju we're just hitting the sides of the bowl. It, you know, um, I mean, if you go to our Fremont factory, it is jammed. I mean, it is jammed. It's like, whoa. <laughs> And when we first went in there, it was, it was like, you know, we're like a, a kid in his parents' shoes. It was ridiculous, like tiny S and giant factory. And now we're like, you spam in a can here. Like, <laughs> how do we fit more stuff? Um, and and it's, it, it, it's, it's tough for people to afford houses, and a lot of people have to come in from far away. And so it's, uh, we'll, we'll take, you're taking it as far as, as possible, but it's, um, there's a limit to how, uh, how big you can scale in, in the Bay Area. So... Um, we, uh, here um, in, in Austin, and our, you know, our factory is like five minutes from the airport, 15 minutes from downtown, um, and uh, 
we're going to create an ecological paradise here on the because uh, we're right on the Colorado River. It's going to be great. So, um, to emphasize gain, continuing to expand in California significantly, um, but but um, but even more so uh, here in Texas. All right. To recap, <laughs> Tesla had a great year. Um, they need a lot of battery cells. Don't worry about methane. If we would have had, you know, solar and power walls in Austin, there wouldn't be as big of an issue. And then Tesla has moved its uh, headquarters to Texas. So there's the recap. Now let's jump into questions. And the first question is all about Cybertruck. So <laughs> I'm really excited to hear what he has to say about this. Uh, okay, so... Uh, when will Cybertruck production begin, and at what rate will the ramp-up happen? Um, well, um, so the, the, this year has been just a, a constant struggle with, with parts supply. Um, so just to be clear, if, if we had like five extra products, we would not change our vehicle output at all, uh, because we were just basically limited by multiple supply chain shortages, like so many supply chain, uh, of so many types. Not just chips, there were lots of supply chain shortages. Um, so. The, I, uh, so it really wouldn't matter if we had like the semi or the Cybertruck or anything, we would just not be able to make it. Um, and the semi in particular uh, needs a lot of cells. So it needs a lot of cells, a lot of chips, and so uh, that will be, uh, we've we got to have enough, otherwise it's pointless. So I think most likely what we'll see is Cybertruck start production end of next year, uh, and then reach volume production in 2023, and um, hopefully, we can also be producing the semi and the uh, the new roadster in 23 as well. Um, so we should be through our severe supply chain shortages uh, in 23. I'm optimistic that that will be the case. And all my excitement just kind of drains out of my body. So yeah, you're in another year and a half maybe. For lucky, year and a half maybe two. Next question is about the 4680 battery cell, and what's the holdup? Uh, well, we see 468 battery cell production in Texas. Um, I, don't, I don't think we will see 4680 production in Texas this year, uh, but we are making um, 4680s in California um, at a, our pilot plant, which is a big plant by normal standards. It's like a capable of 10 gigawatt hours a year. So um, it's, just, it's just a mile away from our vehicle factory in Fremont. So it's, um, that, that basically, that, that, that factory will be able to make more than enough cells for uh, Giga Texas to, to scale production of Model Y. Um, and um, I do want to emphasize, like, the, from the point at which a factory is able to start making cars to where it reaches uh, high volume production is typically about a year, and that's considered very fast. So um, it's a, uh, it, it, it takes longer, it, or at least in, in, in Tesla land, it takes longer to build the factory than it does to reach volume production once the factory is built. Um, so, like uh, in Shanghai, we built the factory in 11 months, but to, to get to high volume production took about a year. Um, and so I expect something similar here. You know, we'll, we'll start production uh, this year and we'll deliver, I'm confident we'll deliver some uh, cars from Giga Texas this year, model-wise, but uh, we won't reach high-volume production until probably the end of next year. Um, 
So, uh, but then I also expect we will reach high volume production, the 4680 cell here in Giga Texas uh, next year as well. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I do believe that we heard at one point in time that they were going to use the 2170 cells at Giga Texas, at least initially, because they couldn't get the 4680 battery cells right. Uh, there was something with the cathode and making them at scale. Now, it sounds to me like at this point, maybe they've got that figured out, and they will be, when they start producing model-wise at volume, they will be building those with the 4680 battery cells, which would be really cool if that was the case. It would also be really cool if they were able to build these uh, model-wise in Texas with the 4680 cells, and then the Fremont Model Y will be brought in, you know, parity with the Giga Texas Model Y. Hopefully, fingers crossed, right? That'd be amazing because you don't want to buy a Model Y and then find out that you got the 2170 when the 4680 battery cells are are better. Or at least I wouldn't. Like, some people might not care. I would care. I would want the one from Texas. In the interest of saving time, I'm just going to talk about the next two questions here, and I'll just give you the, the short answers. The first question was, is Tesla looking at any other factories or any locations for factories? And the short answer to that is no. Maybe in 2023 they'll make a decision. So we've heard about Tesla having interest in India, and there was some rumor about Russia. So as of right now, according to Elon, no, and maybe they'll make a decision in 2023. So at least a year and a half off or a year and a quarter off from that. And then the next question would be, is Tesla going to be doing dividends soon? And I know a lot of you, and this is why we do this episode, a lot of you are Tesla shareholders. And the answer Elon gave is basically no, because we have to reinvest a lot of our money back into building the business. And once the business is at a point of maturity, then that would be the best time to do a dividend. He said, invoking the royal we. And someone asked for an update on Tesla Energy, and basically with the chip shortage, they had to prioritize the cars over the energy, and that's where they are. They think they'll be in a much better place for Tesla Energy next year. And they think it's going to be a really big, you know, part of their business that's just, you know, you can only do so much when you're constrained. And then somebody asked about the Model 2, and we've talked about this. There is no such thing as a Model 2. The whole reason why we had the 3 is because Tesla wasn't allowed to use the Model E. So that's why there's no Model 2, and there's unlikely to ever be a Model 2. In our next clip, Elon's going to explain the importance of engineers and being constrained by talent. Uh, yeah, limiting factor of growth is um, engineering. Yeah, there's, there's really not a like factory stamping out amazing engineers. Um, so... It's hard to, you know, you've got to basically recruit people. You've got to kind of like train them in the right way. Um, and this just takes time. Um, and uh, it, it, like sometimes companies think you can just hire anyone with an engineering degree, slap them together, and get amazing stuff. This is not, not the case at all. Um, often adding more engineering engineers to a program uh, makes it go slower. So... Um, you know, and, and the excellence of an engineer matters tremendously. There are the huge differences in engineering talent uh, that are boggles the mind. Um, but I, I do wonder today, like, if Nikola Tesla applied to Tesla, would we even give him an, an interview? <laughs> I'm not sure we would. You know, 
like, it was like, you know, we should, obviously. Um, so, uh, you know, that does concern me. Like, I think we, we could do a better job of, um, of, of vetting resumes. And really, we're just looking for evidence of exceptional ability. Like, not whether somebody graduated from a particular school or whatever. Um, but, like, just three bullet points, uh, evidence of exceptional ability. Um, and, and do you say, wow, after you read those three bullet points? Then, great. That, that should be the approach. Our next question is about a solar roof. So let's listen in on that. Yeah, I think we're actually making uh, rapid progress with solar roof. Um, uh, you know, um, solar, so, solar in general and energy in general got kind of uh, shortchanged for a couple of years there because we we're desperately trying to make the Model 3 and, and reach volume production. So we just moved everyone from anywhere in the company that could possibly work on Model 3 was working on Model 3. It was all hands on deck, as you know. So there are just a couple of years where we just, you know, just if we've got to save, if, if Model 3 fails, the whole company is dead. So we're just going to move everyone from solo, from everywhere to help with Model 3. Um, so we're a couple of years behind on that. But um, we, I think we're now making rapid progress with uh, the solar roof. and. Um, in particular with uh, new home builders. Um, obviously, the most efficient uh, way to get a solar roof is to put it on, uh, w you know, put a roof on once um, instead of, um, you know, it, it, like doing retrofit is obviously fundamentally more expensive than just than, than doing solar roof on new homes. So um, we now have relationships with a number of new home builders, and, um, and we expect that those to, to gather significant momentum. Um, and um, and then we're going to have a campaign, which is uh, kind of like, well, I'm dating myself here. I want my MTV. Um, so I want my solar roof. <laughs> Where is it? So, um, you know, I think we'll just get people actively asking in new home developments, well, does it have a solar roof and a power wall? And, you know, because then, you know, you, you, gener you, you, you generate your own power and... Um, you can help stabilize the rest of the grid using the power wall. Um, and we're doing this in partnership with utilities. Like the thing that I think um, people need to appreciate is that there's a, a lot more electricity production that needs to occur as we move to an, uh, an electric vehicle future. Um, for, for two homes where both cars are electric, um, the power electricity usage will approximately double. And so if you don't have local power production at the homes um, with a battery, because the battery's got to buffer the power. Um, otherwise, you, if, 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 you just have so, if, if you just have solar without batteries, it, it causes these massive waves in the grid. Um, uh, and, and so you have to have the batteries to stabilize the, the, the grid. But those batteries can then act collectively to stabilize the whole grid. Um, and that's software that, that we've developed that is, um, I think, first going to go into use in Australia. Um, that's going to be, I think, quite compelling. But you really need, um, for a sustainable energy future, you have to address uh, uh, electricity at the, at the homeowner level. This is essential. Um, but there will still be a very prosperous future for utilities because uh, electric power will approximately double. And then if you transition heating to electric as well, it approximately triples. So this is a lot of work, both at the local level of electricity distribution and at the utilities. Utilities got to expand, and there's got to be um, solar uh, and, and batteries at the homeowner level. Um, 
But ha having a Tesla solar with, with, with battery means that you have power no matter what. If the utility shuts you off or does, for any reason, you still have power. Um, when I was here in the, in the Austin blizzard, it's like I was staying at a friend's house, but he didn't have the solar roof and battery, so I'm sitting in the dark uh, in the cold. And I was like, okay, we're really, really brings home the need for the solar roof and battery. Um, so anyway, so I think that's uh, going to see, I think solar roof will see massive growth in the years to come. You know, I could see a world where Tesla just says, you know, we're not doing solar panels at all. We're just going to do the solar roof and, and the battery packs for home use. I thought it was interesting that he talked about the software, which is escaping me at the moment that they're using, that they're going to start testing out in in Australia. It's the auto bidder software. That'll be interesting to see how that whole thing works out because I don't think we fully know what it does yet. So I'd like to know more about that. The next question is, will FSD 10.2 come out tomorrow night? And Elon basically says yes. Uh, yeah, 10.2 is going out tomorrow night. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, this is too much inside baseball on FSD. But uh, the um, we're going to start rolling out um, the FSD beta to um, all customers with a perfect uh, safety driving record um, tomorrow night at midnight California time. And um, then we'll see how that goes. And we want to be very cautious about the rollout. Um, if that's looking good, then we'll... Because um, there's like a little over 1,000 people that have a perfect score. Uh, then we'll you know, start giving it to people with a 99, 90, 98, 97, and so forth. Um, We'll probably have to have some cutoff, you know, where it's like 60%, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but it's, it's got to be, um, we're, we're looking for people who, who are extremely conscientious uh, drivers for the beta program. Um, so, but it's looking really good. Um, I actually drove here from, from my, the friend's house I'm staying at in Austin, um, which is quite far away and has quite a complicated drive. Um, and the car took me all the way from um, my friend's house to the Gigafactory with no interventions. So, perfect drive. Yeah. So, yes, the beta is going out, and that's great, but it's only going out to the people with 100%. And then, you know, like he said, they'll, they'll work their way down to 99, 97, that kind of thing. But it is such a, a black box as to how, you know, they're scoring things. And a lot of people, and I'm going to go over this next week a little bit more in depth, but a lot of people are just like doing like trial and error just to see if they can improve the rating. And I know like Sierra and Brad, for instance, when they're driving, they noticed because they use FSD almost all the time, they weren't getting graded on FSD um, uh, because they were using it. So they actually had to manually drive to get their safety score up which is, you know, I guess makes sense. But on the other side, like they're using the software that they're trying to get the beta for. So why exactly they have to go through the process of manually driving when they primarily use the FSD that they paid for? I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Now, Elon's going to take a couple questions from the audience. They're not on mic. They're just kind of yelling them out. So I'm going to try to pick out the best ones for you and then play them. And the first question is, when 
won't we need to mine for batteries any longer? Which I think is actually a really good question. Oh, uh, when will we not need to do any more mining for batteries? Um, basically, it'll be a while because we've got to um, extend the fleet. So the fleet of cars out there is gigantic. There's about two billion cars and trucks uh, in use in the world. Um, and uh, so uh, that's, that's a lot. So um, uh, annual global capacity for vehicles is 100 million a year, roughly. Um, which kind of makes sense. Like cars and trucks tend to last about 20 years before they go to the junkyard. Um, so, so that's an important statistic to bear in mind. Like even if all cars were, and all vehicles were electric tomorrow, it would still take 20 years to um, ch change out the fleet. Um, so I think people don't, like you see a lot of noise and sort of stories about electric vehicles, but the fleet is what matters. Um, and the, and still, um, it's basically rounds down to nothing. <laughs> if you look at total fleet of vehicles on Earth, and electric cars at this point, I think, are still well under 1% of the fleet. So, but I don't know, it, probably 30 years-ish, 30, 40 years? Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, and I think, um, uh, just to uh, clarify a few things that are sometimes misunderstood out there, um, uh, lithium is extremely plentiful. It is one of the most plentiful things on Earth. It is not rare at all. Um, it's hard to avoid lithium. <laughs> if you said, well, where can we dig a bunch of rock that doesn't have some lithium in it, you would have a hard time. <laughs> um, it's in seawater, you know, it's, it's you know, it's basically lithium, lithium is a salt. So where is the salt? There's a little bit of salt pretty much everywhere, so it's lithium everywhere. Um, so that's not an issue. Also, lithium is only like maybe one or two percent of the cell, um, and so the actual thing that matters is the cathode. Um, and uh, I, it, it, um, most of our, well, well actually, our, our higher, our long-range vehicles use a nickel-based cathode, and uh, you know, sometimes people think it's a, ca a cobalt-based cathode. No, cobalt is used in phones and, and laptops, but uh, we use nickel because nickel has higher energy density for our long-range uh, vehicles. Um, but for our standard-range vehicles and for stationary storage, I think all of that will move to iron-based, uh, iron cathodes. And iron is also extremely plentiful. Uh, nickel is not rare, but uh, there's, uh, I don't know, somewhere maybe 10 to 100 times more in iron than there is nickel. So, um, so, the, so moving to, to an iron-based uh, uh, chemistry, um, which is sort of finally at the point where it's, it's competitive on range when combined with uh, an efficient powertrain, uh, I think that will be the, the vast majority of, of batteries in the future will be iron-based. So I do not see any shortages. Um, it's just a question of making all the equipment to kind of process that into a cell and then into a pack. All right, I'm glad that that question was answered or was asked and answered, I guess, because it's something that I quite often try to talk about on the show is batteries and batteries are, I wouldn't say they're like overly complicated, but I don't have a great grasp on battery chemistry. Like I'm trying and I'm learning and I'm better than I was five years ago, but this stuff's really complicated and it changes and I'm, you know, it's not my job to learn about batteries trying to do it in your spare time isn't exactly fruitful. 
So I'm glad that he went through and explained that because one, it helps me understand it better. But two, I feel like I'm, I've got it pretty close to where it needs to be as far as giving you guys information. The next question that I'm going to go over, I'm not going to play the clip, but it was funny. Somebody asked Elon what his safety score was, and basically Elon's like, I don't know. Um, he does have that. He does have a safety score. He just doesn't know what it is. And I want to go back because he talked about uh, full self-driving and being able to drive from his friend's house to the Austin factory. Don't you think that maybe the Tesla engineers know that route at this point and are trying to optimize it as best as humanly possible. Like I'm sure Elon being the kind of person that I think that he is would be like, you know, I want that raw experience of, of the car trying to figure it out. I, Cause he, you know, he likes those puzzles, but on the other side, if I was an engineer, that would be the only route. I would just dedicate one engineer to a play the, the places where Elon goes. <laughs> And and that's it. Um, and to make sure that those are the best, smoothest driving. And maybe that's why he's so optimistic, optimistic, because, you know, he's got a team of engineers making sure that his route, unbeknownst to him, is the best route or is the best experience you can have. Back to the safety score, though, Elon did uh, say that they're aware that the algorithm for the safety score is flawed and they're working to improve it and it will improve over time. Along the same lines as that safety score system, somebody asked a question about Tesla insurance, and here's Elon's answer to that. Oh, Tesla insurance. Uh, yes, yeah, so, um, like, the degree which insurance is uh, a regulatory labyrinth is insane. Um, it was, like, designed to be hard, is the feeling you got. I, mean, I don't know if it's designed, it, but it certainly is very difficult. Um, so there's a zillion applications and you have to wait for a bunch of time and get all well, it's long and complicated and a lot of it is state by state most of it is state by state so um, so we're just we're processing applications in states across the country and um, and then the states also have different regulations so you can't you know actually aren't legally allowed to offer the same insurance in every state so you've got to adjust the software to be different in every state it's basically it's very complicated <laughs> um, but I think um, we'll be offering it in, in Texas very soon, um, and like maybe in a month or something. Next week, Next week. great. Uh, phone a friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, so Tesla Insurance goes live in Texas next week, um, and um, I knew it was this month, but uh, and then uh, we have it in California. We're going to be upgrading the version in California. Um, because in California, we, we want to have the same kind of real-time insurance that where your insurance costs are based on your actual driving history, um, which is like the, the right way to do it. Um, but okay, we're currently not allowed to do that in California for some reason. Um, so we're trying to get permission from the regulators to be allowed to give accurate scores for insurance. Seems like that's the thing you'd want to do. Um, and, um, and then hopefully, I don't know, probably have most of the country next year aspirationally that's our goal i i really want to have a insurance that is based on my driving because i i literally only drive long distances when i go to work and i only do that once sometimes twice a week depending on how my schedule works and then after that i i drive like three miles a day maybe at three miles a day 
So I feel like my insurance would be actually better. And I'm kind of a, a grandpa when it comes to driving. So we're coming up on our last clip and I'm just going to let it go. So if you want to email me, it's Bodie, B-O-D-I-E at 918digital.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at 918digital. But we're going to play the last clip. It's going to go to music. And then I hope you all had a great week. So let's go ahead and listen to that. It's all about the ATV. I'm <laughs> really getting into the weeds here. Um, so we're definitely going to be making Cybertruck here. Um, and so probably the ATV too. So the ATV is an interesting design challenge because ATVs are pretty dangerous. And so we want to make an ATV that is the least dangerous ATV. So if you're going to ATV, well, you might as well have the least dangerous ATV, you know. So it'll have a really low center of gravity because the battery pack will be down low. And I think we can do some things with the suspension. It just make it really hard to roll this thing, you know. So it'll because when ATVs roll is when bad things happen. <laughs> so it's going to be the ATV that won't roll. <laughs> uh, so it'll be cool. You, you got to have one with a Cybertruck. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.